Welcome, local sports fans. It is Sunday, May 7th. It is a very special day here on The Fan, Owatonna. This is John Wisebroder, and this is the Husky Bulletin Podcast. This is a very special episode with a very special guest. Before I get into that, I would like to shout out to our sponsor, for this episode, our starter sponsor is Irish Eyes Studios right there in downtown Owatonna. Come see Sean, Lance, Brian right downtown on North Cedar Avenue, a clean, professional environment. If you'd like to make an appointment, 507-214-2100. Again, Irish Eyes Studios. Once again, this is John Wisebrode. You are listening to The Fan Owatonna, and this is episode number one right here on Sunday night, The Fan. And then also, this will be archived as a podcast And you can access those. The best place would be to thehuskybulletin.com. That's thehuskybulletin.com. That is also going to be your source for everything Owatonna Sports, where we capture the narrative. This is our first segment, once again, sponsored by Irish Eyes Studio in downtown Owatonna. Our guest is Jeff Williams. It was really cool to have the banter. I've known Jeff for 10 years I've gotten to sit down with him a lot and just talk about stuff far beyond football. And I learned a lot about him in our conversation, which you will hear. We didn't talk a whole lot about football, and that's kind of what this show is going to be about. What you're going to hear on this show is basically parachuting in to a conversation that I have with local sports athletes, former athletes, coaches like Jeff Williams. I wanted to keep this very much unscripted. And I wanted to make it feel like exactly what it was between Jeff and I, just a conversation between two acquaintances, two friends, and parachute you in the middle of that, goes along with capturing the narrative, which is the whole thing of the Husky Bulletin and the Husky Bulletin podcast. It's a podcast that's going to air here first, 106.3 on the FM, 1170 on the AM, again, the fan Owatonna, we are proud official affiliate of KFAN, and then it will be archived as a podcast and available on all major podcast formats. Well, we're going to take our first break, and then Owatonna head football coach Jeff Williams, you are listening to the Husky Bulletin podcast right here on the fan Owatonna. Irish Eyes Studio in Owatonna creates tattoos and piercings for all of southern central Minnesota. Owner and artist Sean McCarthy is a tattoo artist specializing in realism and comic art. When it comes to tattoos, details are everything. With 30 years experience as an artist, there aren't many details his Irish eyes can't bring out. If you're in the market for some new ink or piercings, find Sean and his team online at irisheyesstudio.com or on Facebook at Irish Eyes Studio. When Irish eyes are smiling, the detail shows. I'm 1-0 against Willie Giga, who was the JV tennis coach at, at Oatana at the time. I knew nothing about the game. All I just said was, just move your feet, move your feet. I don't know if I'd want to marry the female version of myself. I'd I probably would hate. definitely not want to marry the female version of myself. Yeah, right? I can't so, think of a more disgusting oh human my being gosh. than what that would be. No, it's part of manhood is maintaining <laughs> Something. a well-manicured yard. Yeah, I don't think I can be friends with anyone <laughs> if they can't. <laughs> it, says, it says a lot about who they are as a person. Yes. First of all, Jeff, we are going to find out if people are going to listen to this, right? But first, <laughs> he's laughing. 
Thank you for coming on. Absolutely, John. Thank you for having me. I guess that is an open question if anybody cares enough to <laughs> spend an hour of their time listening to this. But, uh, you know, we'll have fun together. And if it's just you and I, then it's just you and I. And yep. we don't worry about anybody else. That's the thing. If it's it's you and I talking and the only person who listens to it is when I uh, edit it, it was worth it. Agreed. Correct me if I'm wrong. You used to take a trip and you'd drive through South Bend or something like that, right? You know, we can get to why that's important, but just kind of talk about, you know, growing up with a dad who's a coach and then you're taking these trips and then the first time, what's important about Notre Dame? When was the first time you saw that? The bicentennial in 1976, okay. uh, my dad decided we we're going to go on a East Coast vacation, spend two weeks on the East Coast, uh, be out there for the bicentennial. He's a social studies guy, so history was important. And participated in all the festivities uh, for the Bicentennial, which, you know, for those who are listening who are old enough to remember, that was a big deal, yeah. 1976. Sure. And so kind of a natural place to stay the first night was South Bend, Indiana from Rochester. And so we stayed in South Bend, and my dad had always been a Notre Dame football fan, and we'd watch Notre Dame on television, and Era Parsegian was at Notre Dame at the time and winning national championships. And so anyway, we stayed there the first night and we walked around campus and I was absolutely stunned. Um, <laughs> it's just such a beautiful place, such a, a magical place. And later that year, uh, Notre Dame beat Texas in the Cotton Bowl. They had Earl Campbell, the Heisman Trophy winner. And I think that cemented it. It's like, all right, this place is really special. And it was really the only place that I ever really wanted to go. You know, as time wore on... Um, was getting the grades that might have been necessary to get sure. in and got an SAT score that might have been good enough to get in. And so I applied and then kind of made the mistake of only applying at Notre Dame and then having Marquette as, uh, as my out. All of a sudden, you're not hearing, you know, and it's February and it's like, mm -hmm. oh, did I make <laughs> a horrible decision here? You know, I might Squirming not get a little bit any place. Yeah. And I remember distinctly pulling into uh, the driveway in my Toyota Corolla and uh, went up to the mailbox, and there was a, a letter from Notre Dame, and it was a thick letter, so that's usually a good sign. You know, yep. rejections come in very thin letters. At and, the time, did you know that? Did uh, you feel like, or what was it when I you saw the kind I of, kind of did, you sure, know? but I sure. remember, you know, my heart kind of jumped into my right. throat, like, here we go, and I was able to, to get accepted, and, and that was awesome, and, and I knew I wanted to do biology. Mm -hmm. I didn't have really any sense at that time for what I wanted to do with it, but it was what I was good at. It was what I was interested in. It was kind of the funnel that uh, I knew that my eventual career would fall into because biology is just cool stuff. You know, mm -hmm. I just couldn't see being an English major or a history major or anything like that. Biology was really, really intriguing to me. So I chose to major in biology and you know, here I am, I guess now. I'm, obviously, it was a windy road yeah, after that, too. There's a few stories between, There's right? a few stories yeah. in between, but yeah, for sure. But I knew biology was going to be my deal, and uh, I couldn't be happier teaching biology. You get to kind of teach the full gamut yep. of the discipline, you know, as opposed to being a researcher or something like that, where you're just focused in on one area. You know, I get to show kids the coolness of how life operates. Yeah, um, I, I don't see you in a, uh, a research position where it's just you and isolation. 
I, I think with kids is more natural. Right? I, it is natural. And I didn't know that at the time, you know, it mm-hmm. wasn't like I, I shouldn't say that as time wore on in college, you know, I was coaching summer baseball. I coached Legion mm-hmm. and VFW baseball in, in Rochester and uh, at Notre Dame, uh, they have fully padded dorm football. And so I played a couple of years of dorm football, and then I oh. coached my last year there. I coached the Holy Cross Hogs. We were pretty good. We ran the veer that Lou Holtz had been running at, at South Carolina. Yes. And, and ultimately, uh, he went to Notre yeah, Dame. And uh, yes, he did. He did. My senior year, yeah. Lou came. I, you know, I started to gravitate into uh-huh. that a little bit, but it wasn't something that I came out of high school saying, I'm going to teach and coach. You know, I did realize fairly early on in lab classes that I enjoyed doing labs, but I enjoyed working with others in the lab. And I, so yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I I think I fell into something that was into my skill set a little bit better than um, wearing a white lab coat. You know, I know at one point, I mean, medical school was going to be option A, and I could be wrong, and option B or 1A was teaching and, and coaching. Talk about that pivot point in your life because that, that led you down the path that we talked about that you're here right now. You know, I, I had taken plenty of classes with pre-meds, I mean, I looked at kind of how they operated, and, you know, they were in the library pretty dang late. And, you know, that just didn't, that wasn't really my deal. You know, I worked hard uh, throughout the course of the week. You know, being a biology major is difficult. I mean, you're taking physics, you're taking organic chemistry, you're taking calculus one and calculus two. And, you know, I spent my time uh, working at it, but... You know, when 11 o'clock at night came, I sometimes found some other activities. You know, oh. South Bend, Indiana availed itself yep. uh, to us in that regard. And yep. I, I just kind of looked at what my outlook was and what my attitude was. And I kind of questioned whether or not I really, truly had the discipline and the desire to uh, do med school and go six more years, you know, going through what those people were going to go through because they were very frankly more focused and more disciplined mm-hmm. than I was. And I started to just kind of think back at growing up with my dad and uh, looking at his lifestyle. And it's like, you know, this teaching and coaching thing is not a bad gig. And it's very uh, rewarding, or at least it was for him. Mm -hmm. And he uh, was developing great relationships with students that he had and with athletes that he had. And I kind of decided maybe we'll look at that route. So I didn't have to rush into anything. I was going to graduate the following year with a biology degree, and then I really needed to make a decision. And ultimately, I remember this very distinct, coming home my senior year, and I had made the decision, all right, I'm probably going to enroll at Winona State, Mm -hmm. get my education coursework done in a year, student teach, and enter the teaching profession. There was a, a big party of all the kids who had come home from college, and uh, the dad who uh, whose house it was, and he, he and I got into a conversation, and, and he's like, all right, well, you know, what are you going to do? You know, Notre Dame grad, what, you know, what are you going to do with it? I said, I'm going to teach and coach. <laughs> I won't ever forget this. Mm-hmm. He said, you don't go to Notre Dame to become a teacher. <laughs> and I've kind of kept that as a chip on my shoulder yeah. a little bit. Like, That's cool. You know, I'm going to go teach and coach to the best of my ability. And if people think I made a really dumb decision, so be it. It's not their life to live. Yep. But I'm <clears> going gonna, gonna to do the best that I can and see kind of how it turns out. But it reminded me a little bit, you know, I hadn't thought about it for a while. And then I watched the, uh, the Jordan documentary. Yeah, great doc. Uh, the, yeah. the Last Dance yes. during COVID. And I could relate to the chip that yeah. Jordan always had on his shoulder. 
people doubt you, you know, people diss you, and you use that as some motivation, a little bit of fire to yep. go do your job to the best of your ability. So I don't apologize to anybody. It's not about wins and no, losses never and is. championships and all that. It's about are you content when you look at your life from 30,000 feet? Are you content with the decisions that you made and where you ended up in your life? And had I not made this decision to go this route, would there be a Nancy Williams? Or would there would be not? a Nick would or a Matt? Would there be a Nick and a Matt? You know, would there be... All of the great kids, the Noah Budoks, the Alex Reikleys, oh, the Abel Belkas, yep. you know, the Kyle Melchers, the Matt yeah. Scalas, <laughs> you know, Kyle. <laughs> the Mark Octokirks, yeah. uh, that you develop a relationship with over time, and uh, life would have been totally different. And again, on a day-to-day basis, are there challenges in teaching? Sure there are. Are there challenges in coaching? Sure there are. Are there challenges in being a chiropractor? Of course there are. You know, you're not going to be, quote unquote, happy every moment of every day. Yep. But I think, you know, again, if you can get to 30,000 feet and look at where you are at in the milieu of life and Mm -hmm. say, I'm content, I'm I'm pleased with where I'm at in life. I've never had a day where I haven't been. You found a point where you can take the blend of skills that you have, and it's never about winning, losing, and all that, and that has come. But I'm sure you look back, maybe you can just expand on this, that how many professions do you have where you can hang out with the coolest group of guys that are just athletes and and have the same interest, and then you can look back and say, you know what, I don't want to take credit for this, but I just feel content with the role I had in, in molding them. Not a lot of professions can do that. And no, you're I, able to do that every day. I would agree with that. And, you know, one of the benefits to coaching in Oatana that may not be the case everywhere is, you know, number one, you've got great community support. Yeah. So the programs are in place. Kids are being coached by people when they're third graders and fourth graders. And so they come to us with good skills and good attitudes, the ability to uh, to play the game, a knowledge of the rules of the game, just because so many people are willing to step up to the plate. But probably the most important factor is you get to work with kids who have been raised well by their parents. Mm -hmm. Our parents take raising their children very, very seriously. It's rare that we've got kids who don't understand how the world works and how to operate and don't have good manners and don't have a good work ethic and, you know, don't understand that sometimes you have to defer gratification for a few days so that you can have a great night on Friday night. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it speaks a lot to the community that we live in that we're able to work with kids like that. And that makes forging those relationships easier because, you know, I talk to some other coaches and they feel like they're in conflict with their kid times. They're butting heads with the kids in their program, trying to get them to lift in the summer, trying to get them to do the extra work. And we've never really had that, you know, not mm-hmm. that we don't have There's exceptions to every rule. Sure. Yeah, of course. You know, I mean, some kids aren't going to want to get out of bed and sure. come lift and you have to work on them a little <laughs> bit. But as a culture... Our kids get, you know, what hard work is necessary to get the outcomes that they want, and that's because they've been raised well. And so you can forge relationships with kids like that because you're all trying to move in the same direction. Yeah. You're not butting heads over discipline. You're you're walking side-by-side kids who have ultimately the same goal as you, yeah. which is to have a really fun experience and to go win some games. And that's, I think, really made this rewarding. And the first 10 years or so, you don't necessarily see that. I was going to ask, was there a point when you when you started where you thought, 
I got to win this game. I got to yes. da, da, da. And then yes. when did that kind of yeah. devolve? Yeah. 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 And, you know, we had a lot of success very early on. You know, we uh, won a conference title and two section championships in our first four years as staff. So, you know, we had rapid success, which I think is always dangerous because then you Absolutely. start to think that you're smart. Yeah. You think and, you know, uh, you found the key. Correct. Right? You found the key. Nobody the has. The answers are mine. And, uh, <laughs> and then we got into the early 2000s and we hit a little bit of a dry spell and we weren't winning as many games. We were a 500 program for probably five years Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you realize okay it's better uh when we have kids who can run and jump and throw and catch than it is when we don't have kids Mm -hmm. who can run and jump and throw and catch and when we have big linemen we tend to be better than when we have little linemen um and it really isn't all about us it's really about the kids that are Mm -hmm. coming through and i think that's when you start to turn you know maybe turn your attention to making sure that kids have the best experience possible. I want kids when they leave high school to say, you know, playing football at OHS was like the best memory that I have. And you turn your focus there and all of a sudden the wins kind of start coming back. By 2007, we were winning conference titles Mm -hmm. and section titles again. And I think kids are having a better time. But until you've graduated a few kids and you realize you know, when they come back and work football camp and they're 22 years Reinforces old. Reinforces the culture. Yeah. And and then they tell you, you know, they, well, first of all, they tell you a bunch of stories that you can't remember and that you can't believe. <laughs> and you say, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Well, usually it's like, remember when you said this to me? It's like, no, I did not. So you absolutely <laughs> said this to me. So once you kind of develop that adult relationship mm-hmm. with former players and you realize the kind of impact that you have, whether you're intentional about it or not, you have an impact. They remember moments. They remember lessons that they've learned. And then you become more intentional about making sure that practices and games are giving future kids those same experiences. Mm-hmm. Or you avoid, you know, the negative experiences that kids come back and share with you. But until you have a chance to talk to a 22, 23, 28-year-old, uh, you don't know. Um, and then, you know, to your point, kids were born in 2001, 2003, having the opportunity to coach those two boys as they came up through park and rec soccer as five-year-olds and then, you know, t-ball and things like that, it fine-tunes how you want to treat other people's kids because you become more in tuned with what do I want my kids Mm -hmm. to get out of their athletic experience? What do I want to hear coaches say to my kid? What do I not want to hear coaches say to my kid? And I think Mark Octorkirk and Doug Wanyas and Kevin Stelter would all tell you the same thing. Things changed when we started coaching our own kids. Yes. And, and then we had to be intentional about coaching other people's kids and yep. making sure that the things we wanted for our own kids, we provided to everybody's kids. Yeah. And I think we all became better coaches after we had children. And that's kind of funny you say that because when Doug stepped down, I, I did an interview with him and kind of one of the things that was brought up was I just kind of wanted to get his take on because I've never really sat down and talked to Doug great and he wouldn't allow you no to because the linemen are humble <laughs> exactly you know, the linemen wouldn't talk to you Doug yeah. wouldn't talk no. to you they're yeah. humble they play their role I and- tell you but the interviews that I did every year for those profiles the linemen uh ones were always the most memorable they, they were the best they were the ones who'd stay late they'd actually laugh at my Stupid joke. <laughs> no, but and, and I, I talked to Doug. I kind of wanted to get his his take on it. And when you guys started having kids, think of all of the kids that, whether it's Dallas Soley, Kevin Stelter, Jeff Williams, Mark Octokirk, Mark Weiss. Mark Weiss. 
There's another one. Not only are they great kids, really good players, and just talk about how cool it is to build that culture to a next generation, and all of them, or most of them, played a part in bringing home a title. That right there, I think, is just a case study in the turnaround. As a dad, how does that feel to, to be able to have that role with both Nick and Matt? It's rewarding, um, but again, the time that you get to spend with them every day, once kids get to high school age, and I think most parents would attest to this, you don't get to see your kids very much. They get up after you, they hop in the shower and drive to school with wet hair, and <laughs> then they're at practice all night, they yeah. get home at seven, they want you know some grub, yeah. and then they're immediately down in their bedroom either playing on their phone or doing, doing homework, homework, right? Doing homework. <laughs> of course, all night. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and it's lather, rinse, repeat. Yep. And you just don't get to spend a lot of time with, with your kids and us as coaches to have our own kids come through the program was really rewarding because we actually get to spend three mm -hmm. hours a day. We got to go to seven-on-seven -seven trips with our kids. And I know, sorry to interrupt, but I know that you guys, just to give listeners perspective, that Friday night, you guys are back up in the very early a.m. Let's get to the next week. And when, you know, Matt's maybe 10 and Nick is seven or whatever, and that's got to be tough that you have to build a program. That's what you're doing. That's that's in your job description. And you're not going to do anything half and neither are any other coaches, but you also have to balance that with going to your kids' games. Did it ever made you think like is this is this what I want to do? One of the real benefits is that Nancy has never known me not to be the head football coach. You know, we <laughs> met in ninety yeah. six okay. and I had just been named head football coach. And so it was always our life. She did a great job of getting the kids where they needed to be during the season and uh, never complained about it. And then as soon as the season was over, she would just tell me, it's like, all right, I'm going to Vegas this weekend and next weekend I'm going up <laughs> Good for to her. visit friends in Minneapolis. And, <laughs> and actually she's maintained that to this day where she's got her own life mm -hmm. and she, uh, things that don't include me and that's totally fine because, <laughs> uh, you know, the work that she's done to, raise our kids and make sure that everything on the home front was under control while working a full-time job as a social worker is pretty amazing. And, and Octi would say the same thing about Jill. Mark spends tremendous time. Even now as the AD and the D coordinator, he oh. might spend more time than he did when he was teaching yeah. uh, up at school. And he's still got a daughter in high school and Molly. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jill is the same way. You know, Jill and Mark started dating when uh, Mark played at UMD. Mm -hmm. And as soon as he was done playing, he was immediately coaching. So the lifestyle that he and I live, they yeah. signed on for it at the beginning. And it wouldn't have been possible for us to do things the way that we did to spend the amount of time that we have had to uh, without really supportive wives, you know, like we have. And that has probably prevented us from doing too much soul searching about whether or not we were doing the right thing. Not that you don't. I mean, there are times when you just flat miss something that your kid is doing mm -hmm. and that's part of the deal. Yep. But, you know, Matt Ginsky does that too. If he's traveling to China or Garrett Henson, oh, he gosh. does the same yeah, exactly. traveling someplace. And it's like, well, you know, the choir recital or the, you know, basketball game or whatever, I'm going to have to miss this. And that's part of being an adult. You know, were my parents at every single game that I ever competed in at every level of my life? Absolutely but not. But you remember the ones they were there. Correct. And that's all that matters. Absolutely. Yeah. And they were there for everything that was ever important. 
it was my deal. If I yeah. was in sports, it was my deal. And they would come and support, but they didn't live their life through me. Yeah. And I've always tried not to live my life through my children. I try not to bark at officials. I want to release them to the game yes. and let the game be theirs and let the experience be theirs and let the whole learning process that comes from sports be theirs. Yes. And that sometimes means you're not there at all. And that's okay. I can tell you that attest to that after after games on Friday, you and I usually will sit there and talk five, ten minutes, and I'm usually one of the last ones there, along with uh, Nancy and Jill. They'd yep. be in the stands waiting. That is what a football wife is, if you want to call it that, and meet two better people, I don't think. I, I like talking to them a lot, honestly, Jeff. You and Nancy, different ends. Just personality. Part you know of I mean? a good marriage a is good you mesh. figure out a way to complement each yes. other, and, you know, my weaknesses are covered up by her strengths yep. and vice versa. I'm a little more analytical, a little more cold and calculated. <laughs> or straightforward. And straightforward, and, and, correct. Yeah, and that's, that's a good way to put you it. You need that. And I think we do complement each really other. Cool. I think that's how you stay married for mm-hmm. an extended period of time. I don't think people who are exactly carbon copies, I don't know if I'd want to marry the female version of myself. I'd I probably would definitely not want to marry the female version of myself. Yeah, right? I can't so, think of a more disgusting oh human my being gosh. than what that would be. You were a baseball coach or the assistant for a year, or maybe I'll just let you clarify what you think I'm talking about. Sure. So it's kind of funny, actually. Um, They didn't have any baseball positions open, but uh, the AD came to me and uh, I got a proposition for you. We need a junior varsity tennis coach at Rochester John Marshall. Really? (laughs) (laughs) I have never once picked up a racket in my life. And that might be literal. Exactly. (laughs) And, uh, And he said, here's the deal. These kids all know how to play tennis. The problem we have is we have two different sites. And the head coach is a really easygoing, nice sure. guy. He's a great tennis person, but the discipline isn't really there. Sure. Would you just be willing to go over there Stand and there. just kind of ride herd on these kids? And so I actually coached tennis. Did you really? I did. I was the JV tennis coach at JM. I knew nothing about the game. All I just said was just move your feet, move your feet. And that seemed to be a pretty good coaching Keep it generic. So I do have that on my resume. Anyway, um, jobs started to come open in May of uh, 89. And uh, there were two high school jobs available. And a lot of people at that time are like, you're going to start at the middle school level. You, You know, nobody just jumps right into the high school. Those are highly coveted jobs. And one of the jobs that was open was in Alexandria. One was in Oatana and uh, ended up getting the job. So, uh-huh. I, yeah, I came on as a ninth grade assistant football coach, worked under Dick Schleich. And then uh, I, I was kind of a floater coach uh, working with the ninth and 10th. And then I'd come up and throw BP for the varsity and coach baseball in the spring. And I think the next year, coach B-Squad football, continued to supervise the weight room and became the head B-Squad baseball coach. Okay. Uh, so I had B-Squad, what they call JV now, for about five years. And then in 90, oh, it would have been 96, 97 school year. No, 95, 96 school year, uh, Kerm Urbane decided to step down as head baseball coach. We weren't having much success. Uh, went in three, four, five games a year, and Kerm was close to retirement. And he said, you know, I think I've had enough of this. So I went in and talked with uh, Gary Ridge. I said, Gary, I know Jerry Peterson doesn't have much time left in football, but the baseball job is open. And there's obviously no guarantee that I'm going to get the football job. It was a coveted position, Mm -hmm. and I was a 30, 31-year-old kid. What are your thoughts on me applying for the head baseball job? You know, I've been the B-squad coach for five years. I coached uh, Legion 
uh, all those mm-hmm. years in the summer. So, you know, we had 30 to 40 Legion games every year and I ran that whole operation. So I, you know, think I had demonstrated at least that I could coach a little bit and we designed some killer uniforms. So I demonstrated <laughs> that I go. could do that. You still got the uniform <laughs> bug in you. Exactly. That's huge. It is. Yeah. Um, I've always enjoyed that actually. Yeah. The, the design of uniforms well, and the is kids pretty do fun too. pretty cool yeah. for sure. So anyway, he's, he said, yeah. you know, being the head uh, baseball coach wouldn't be a disqualifier. Um, and actually, it'd be a good opportunity to prove that you can be manage a head kids. coach, manage kids, carry out the administrative responsibilities that you're far enough along in your career that you can do this kind of a job. So I got the head baseball job in the spring of 1996. Uh, we had a pretty good year, actually. We ended up getting eliminated by a really good Mayo team, but... Uh, we won, I don't know, 13 games or something like that that year yeah. and, and uh, felt like we had kind of turned the corner. And then Jerry Peterson decided that he was going to retire from coaching football. And so uh, I applied for the football job. And uh, in fact, we played JM at Darts Park, had a little parent picnic toward the end of the season. And then I quick uh, jumped in the red Jeep and <laughs> ran over to the high school and changed into my suit. Wait, is that the same red Jeep you had until last year? Yeah. The same yeah. one. Well, I, I oh. bought that new in 1991, so it made 30 years um, of time in Oatana oh, before right. it uh, died on me over at a Legion baseball game. Uh, I was going to say, something so, had to have happened for him to, yeah. because all of a sudden, I think it's a you know, blue or whatever it is now, I'm like, I could uh, drive by the school and be like, you know, I kind of want to swing by practice today, but I, let's check for the he Jeep. must not be there. Uh-huh, exactly. Yeah, that was a calling card, uh, for better or for worse. If yeah. people needed to find me, they could always see the red Jeep in the parking yeah. lot and say, yep, he's up there. But, <laughs> you know, there were plenty of 78 and sunny days that I was working up there in the summer, uh-huh. and somebody would see the Jeep, you know, they're out driving around, they'd stop up, and yeah. they'd want to talk for a half hour. It's like... If I'm going to talk to you for a half hour, it's going to be on my deck in front of my grill. Yes. I'm not sitting in my classroom on a July day chatting about life, yeah. the universe, and everything. So. Yeah, we're not going to solve the world's problems right now. No, so it's been easier since I've got yeah. a more incognito vehicle, but people can find me pretty easily. Yeah, so we won't reveal the color. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's pink, but, uh, so there you go. I did go up and change into my yep. suit and uh, and interviewed for the football job, and uh, and it was kind of a neat deal. Um, um, it was a little intimidating. It was uh, a group of heavy hitters uh, in the football world, in the athletics world, in Oatana, but I was um, fortunate, lucky, you know, just blessed, I guess, to uh, to be offered the position. And uh, I went in and talked with Gary Ridge, and he said, "Listen, you know, I was single at the time, been uh-huh. dating Nancy, okay, but uh, didn't have any kids." And Gary said, "You know, if you want, you can try doing both baseball and football as the head coach." And at that mm. time, it was not a huge fundraising operation in baseball. Baseball hadn't been fully formed into the OYBA kind of model that mm-hmm. Doug and then later Tate kind of put together. It was a lot more informal. We weren't trying to fundraise. So what would we need from it wasn't a huge priority. So the year-round aspect of it wasn't as daunting back then. But I still knew that if we were going to build a football program uh, the way that you know we wanted to build it, it was going to take pretty much all my effort. Your soul focus. Yeah. It had to be my I soul focus along yeah. with biology. It I is. miss baseball. You know, I coach my kids and kids first. I coach my kids uh, coming up through the OIBA travel ranks, and I really enjoyed that. And uh, 
And so now that Nick's graduated and I don't have to be at a baseball field every day, I'm going to get back Umpiring. into it this year. So got my new plate pants. I'd actually split out the seat of my uh, behind the plate pants. So I got myself a new set of <laughs> plate pants and dusted off all the Good. gear. And so I'll be doing, um, I think, a majority of B-Squad, you know, JV uh, games in Oatana. I don't want to be driving all over God's creation, but... Uh, you know, it's a way to give yeah. back to the game, a way to give back to the, the kids and uh, just kind of be involved in the spring. Otherwise, you know, I don't know what I do. You know, you can only spend how many hobbies time in yeah. the yard. Oh, yeah. How many times can you move the sprinkler around right. or clean the grill? Correct. And I'm pretty right. good at both of those yeah. things. Yeah. I, I, believe me, you're talking to a, a sprinkler. Uh, I know the angles. Absolutely. You should see my front yard. Absolutely. My wife gives me the front patch and, and the dog thinks it's his too. But, you know, I say that it, me and him have an agreement. He can go pee in the front yard and then that, well, there's a spot. Geez, I got to go out to Lowe's and get some seed. That's tough, Shannon, but I, I got to do it. Exactly. So we got to think What will the neighbors think? Yeah. So, and, and yeah, exactly. Well, it's funny because I moved in and um, Mark Ristow is my neighbor. Uh, he's up in the superintendent in Medford. Yep. And he said, John, you're raising the bar here. Uh, well, then mission accomplished. Exactly. No, it's part of manhood is maintaining <laughs> Something. a well-manicured yard. Yeah, and... I don't think I can be friends with anyone yeah. if they can't. <laughs> it says, it says a lot about who they are as a person. Yes, yeah. He just says they're very superficial <laughs> or they're a horticulture nerd. First of all, I don't know how I'm going to be friends with John Partridge. He's Star Trek, um, and I'm not. I'm the opposite of that, Star Wars, but that's a whole nother deal. With you, I'm praying, you might miss calls, but they'll be able to hear it, Jeff. They People will can hear you. hear it. Right, they will hear it. It'll um, be demonstrative. Yes, if anything else, <laughs> and that's the thing. You know, my dad umpires a, a softball varsity all over Rochester, and I tell you, he comes home with he. He's the type of person where he'll he's got some fun stories, and I, he does it for this. He's retired. I mean, he does it for the same reason you do. My, my sister was very good at softball, and I think him growing up or her growing up, he just same with you. You, you fall in love with the things your kids do. So right for sure. Um, and it was, you know, for you, it was football, football, but I get you know, this. but as a kid. But I baseball was, was I was going to say. I was a better baseball player than I ever was a football And I was going to say, it seems like with uh, you coached junior high a couple of years ago. Yep. I know you've got a, a baseball background. I, you might have even told me straight up, baseball was kind of your, your deal, was. wasn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I was yeah. a much better baseball player. Yeah. I was a little guy, you know. Yeah, but, well. uh, you know, I could run a little bit and I could slap it to right. I could steal yeah. bases and... Um, had a little yeah. bit of a scattergun arm, but it was pretty, pretty strong. Yeah. And, you know, so I enjoyed the game. And I, I mean, I just grew up in an era where baseball was a big deal. You know, oh. it was a baseball decade. And uh, all 100%. my, be, you know, best sports heroes growing up were all baseball, baseball players. Guys. Absolutely. That existed for me in the 80s. And it was really refreshing to talk to Alec Holcomb because he's a ball guy. You don't see as many of those anymore. And, for, I just wanted to play baseball because guess what? My big brother did, and baseball was just, well, first of all, the Twins winning the World Series in 91, and I was like, seven was a big deal. And I don't know what it is now, but things have shifted, but that's a whole different podcast. For you, staying kind of with our little loose timeline here of you've gotten to Owatonna, uh, you've taken over as the, the head football coach. I know that you, well, first of all, I want to ask, why do you think you got the job? What was it that you feel they, you know, something resonated to take a risk on this 31-year-old. I mean, your dad was a respected coach who did very well at Jam. Why do you think he got it? 
I honestly have never really thought about it. Good. You know, I've always <laughs> been blessed. I'm not a, yeah. I'm very poor at analyzing my own, I don't know how to put it this way. I don't uh -huh. look at myself in the mirror very much. I really don't think about who I am and how I operate. I just do. And so I can't even tell you what they saw, what they, you know, thought. Um, I probably wouldn't have liked to hear a few of the things, but, uh, you know, obviously they thought I could do the job. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm not a very self-reflective person, but, uh, you know, I just, I've always been um, hugely loyal to uh, to Jim Herzog, you know, Gary Ridge passed in the, in the last year. Those guys will always have my undying loyalty because they did take a chance on a 31-year-old kid who hadn't proven anything who came up through Jerry's program, who learned the ropes. And, uh, and we did use Jerry's offense as a jump off point. And, you know, we've since evolved from that, of course, um, but there's still, you know, some fundamental portions of, of Jerry. There's well, shades you know, of it. Sure. Yeah. You know, but when we met as a staff, I do remember saying, all right, let's sit and talk about the things that we need to maintain that need to be carried over from, from what Jerry Peterson did and then what things need to change so that we can adapt to the next, you know, changes that are coming in football. You know, I think we've done a good job of honoring the blue jersey and the silver helmet. I think we've done a good job of treating kids the same way that Jerry did when they were in his program. Pride of, uh, of being from Oatana is still a big part of it. And like I say, there are some schematic things that... Uh, you know, that we maintained as well. But we also knew that change was coming. I mean, Jerry was calling both the offense and the defense. Uh, the game was becoming way more complex. Uh, the State High School League was just getting ready to open up summer coaching because prior to that, oh, you sure. couldn't do any summer coaching. That's a coaching. big deal, yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, and we knew that it was just going to be untenable to have one person calling both sides um, just because of the technical aspects of it. Film was getting to be a much bigger deal, um, the ability to trade VHS tapes and then DVDs. Go meet somewhere you know, in the middle and yep. trade oh, them, I'm absolutely. sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, but uh, all those things evolved in the early years of our time in Oatana as a staff, and we had to adjust to those. And so, you know, getting Mark Octokirk on board as a, as a defensive coordinator and, and basically being able to say, yeah. I'm not even going to worry about what you do over there. Yes. You take care of your area. I'll take care of mine. We'll have our assistants. We'll meet and we'll get together over a cold beer on Saturday night. And you tell me what your thoughts yes. are. And, you know, we're next door neighbors. My deck <laughs> points toward his house, you know? Yeah. So after we get off our mowers on Saturday night or Sunday morning, you know, we sit on my deck and we just talk about, hey, what are you going to do in the game plan? What did you see? Um, and that's been a level of trust that yes. I just don't know that a lot of people have been blessed to have with yeah. some of their assistants. I get a, that question a lot. I don't know, know if I'm qualified, but that's what, what do you think it is? There's not, first of all, there's not one thing is to Owatonna's football success. It's never like that, but I can tell you that it's just look at the coaching staff. You will see that's nowhere in the state will you find that. It'll be, it's very rare. And then the second part is just, you know, if you weren't going to say it, I was. It's trust. It's not that you don't care because obviously you do. But you and Mark can probably, at this point, the relationship you have, I know you're very close with him, can just, you kind of know it's, it's going to be fine. Creative freedom that, that Mark has to just um, build what has been, what has become a reputation as one of the best defenses in the whole state. Mark would say the same thing about the offense. Ah, Jeff's got it taken care of. You might, you'll 
BS with me at practice if the defense is out there, whoever on the sideline, which is kind of fun because you know Mark's going to do his thing and then vice versa. And I know now with Mark being the AD, being able to can't be there all practice, that that's just built into what you guys have done. And 10, 12 minutes here, I, we, the on-field stuff, obviously, for people who don't know, you migrated toward the spread, and that is where you know the opening of Class 6A football to keep you guys swinging at your weight was obviously a big deal because – I would have, frankly, liked to see how some of those teams did if there was that 6A, maybe Melch's senior year forward when you had him and I agree. Casey Dean. And yeah, talk about those teams because that was before my era. I get right. caught into this off and just looking over some of the stuff with Kyle. I mean, you had uh, Kyle, uh, who was a very coveted football, Casey Dean, a Wisconsin Badger. Badger. I know you had... Um, what was it, Blaze Peterson come down to just oh. try to fit into that group? Wenzel yep. maybe and was the running back. Colin Wenzel was yeah. the running back, and Blaze Peterson had to go to wing back. He was yeah. Sturbo's leading rusher the and year before down. and transferred yeah. in. Isn't and, that something? Yeah, and then Sean Wallace, who went out to Stanford and uh, and was a throws guy out there through shot and disc for Stanford University. He was our right guard. Isn't that you something? Know? No, we had some great teams. You did. And, uh, you know, we struggled with Lakeville. Um, mm-hmm. you know, South hadn't opened yet. And maybe South opened Casey's senior year. Um, so it was Lakeville yeah. Consolidated School. Well, Lakeville then, started in 4A and then had right, to go up. But yeah, exactly. anyways, continue. You know, so they were a bit of a, uh, you know, of a glass ceiling for us. Yeah. We banged our heads against them for quite a long time. And I think we've got like, you know, five or six section runner-up trophies it's in just our always, case. just a little. You uh, know, and, yeah. and obviously, you know. That can be said for all of Owatonna athletics, yeah. you know. Yes. If you can beat a Lakeville team, you've really accomplished Absolutely. something. But 2012 is is where we really jumped into the spread. I went out to Oregon that year, mm-hmm. spent uh, a week, a full week with their offensive staff when Chip Kelly was there, Mark Helfrich was his old coordinator, Scott Frost was his wide receivers coach. I did. Oh, um, that's right. Mark Helfrich oh, okay. uh, ended up being yeah. the head coach of the, or offensive coordinator for the Bears. You know, so I got to spend a week, eight hours a day for five days and watch all their video and ask them questions and, you know, go through their PowerPoint presentations and how they present their offense to their kids. And I ended up going out there, I think, four more times. And so, you know, our offense is really predicated now upon what Oregon was doing when Chip Kelly was there with some wrinkles and some things that we've added on and, frankly, some of the stuff that we had been running back to the Jerry Peterson days. But, uh, that really opened things up and I think allowed our kids to be athletes and allowed yes. us to highlight some really fine athletes like a Colton Shock who just had an absolute cannon of an arm. Oh, yep. And a Luke Ebling who had been a tailback at about 145 pounds. You know, he's just a wiry, stringy little kid. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we invented a slot position he was the prototype. for him. Yep. And he was the prototype for the slot. And all of a sudden, it's like... He's the leading receiver in the history of the school. And, you know, there would have been questions if we would have stayed in our I-formation stuff of where we or, What's the role for him? him? What is his And it role? was the basketball players you needed to keep in the system, right? You know, and we had known that for a while. You know, Drew Lundberg came out and Derek Eady, and those guys were great basketball players, and they were winning conference titles. And obviously Drew went on and played at North Dakota State and Northern Iowa before for basketball, that, yep. You know, being a basketball guy, and it's like if we st- try to stay being a smash mouth team, we're just not going to get those kids. Mm-hmm. They're not going to see a role in our program, and they're not going to want to play. And I think that was really instrumental in in that early 2010s push that uh, that we saw um, and the success that we had. And I'll argue with anybody that Totino Grace in 2012 was probably the best team in the state of Minnesota. Oh, all classes. Um, 
I mean, all classes, 42, 21 or whatever yep. it was with you. Yep. But I so, was, I mean, it yeah. would have been interesting to see, you <laughs> just, know, if they were up a class or if we yep. were up a class, how would we have done with yeah. Eden Prairie that yeah. year? Because we were a very fine football team. Very good. That's, and then 2013 came, and, I mean, yeah. we were a phenomenal was, football team. I mean, our defense was so good that oh, year. Golly. Uh, we just didn't allow teams to score. You didn't and, allow teams uh, to do anything. Right. My first exposure to you guys was a scrimmage in Lakeville, and I'm just, John, can you cover them? Sure, I'll go do that. I, I don't know. I knew you guys were going to be good. First series, and or whatever it was, and I just, I remember leaving that Lakeville trying to tabulate my unofficial stats, and I'm like, I'm not sure the opposition's offenses did any anything. And I said, these are 6A programs, and that's when I, you know, I knew you guys were going to be good, but to your point, it's takeoff time, and I didn't see you guys lose for 16 straight right. games or whatever it was right. when I started, and that's, without the Ebling, there's no Sam Fenske, there's no Budok, there's no whatever. You know, you go down the line, and... um Distilling it. It's neat to see the difference between the. That's a question I get a lot. Who's the best that you've ever seen? The 13, 17, or 18? They're so different. I mean, they've, there's some obviously common binding things that make them all a ton of football, but it's really cool to see that, well, you didn't just win with one group, or it's, you took that next level of 13 and then not a rebuild, but you just transitioned into another group and then you had success with another group and you've got another great group coming up, but. That's kind of neat. And, you know, what I wanted to get for sure to here is is the football part is is football. And I think another major component of what maybe separates Owatonna is the is the booster club and building something as as robust as that. Were you kind of the architect of that? And when did you first start really taking there's not a program that does fundraising better than Owatonna. And I know that takes time to build. But when did you want to start building that? When did that start? We got some really good ideas when uh, Coach Ockerkirk joined our staff in 95. Yep. Uh, he had played at Blaine High School for Dave Nelson, and and Nellie was probably the, the person who kind of invented that kind of a program okay. statewide. And so with his ties to Coach Nelson, I got to know uh, Nellie, uh, had a chance to talk to him a little bit about some of the things that they did up there. And so when I got the head job in 96, um, we really hit the ground running and and Nellie's philosophy was always when you're fundraising, you know, there are some just brass tax fundraisers you have to do. You go out and sell your your ticket books or your mm-hmm. gold cards or, you know, now it's email fundraisers. But when you fundraise, um, have it be a fun kind of cool community thing that builds your program in addition to building funds. Mm-hmm. And so really, you know, the two probably first things that we did were put a youth camp together. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we started with about 70 kids the first year. And I think last year we had about 280. I was going to say almost 300. Yep, yeah, exactly. And uh, so that builds interest in football. It gets kids who might not be football players in fourth grade, fifth grade thinking, hey, maybe this football thing could be fun mm-hmm. because they come out and have a great experience for four nights in August. And I think that's been a draw for our young kids in our program. Uh, the other one was a golf tournament which is the opposite end. A great day, a fun day. (laughs) We've had uh, as many as 160, which slows down play too much. So we've held it to 144 about the last eight years. Um, But we've always sold that out. You know, usually Weister's calling me and, uh, April and telling me we're sold out. And, uh, and that's the other end. That's the ability to continue to connect with the guys who played in years past. Yes. And, uh, you know, early on they were all Jerry Peterson players, <laughs> you know, they would come back and support mm-hmm. the program. And now it's a preponderance of, 
of uh, our own players. And it's so cool to see 30, 40, you know, year old people come back, mm-hmm. play golf, have a couple of cold beverages after, and a talk couple more smart, after that. <laughs> you know, I, not me. I go home. I know those that. guys might run downtown. Oh, but. Well, <laughs> this was the first year that I uh, swung a stick in that thing. And I was there with my father-in-law and my brother-in-law and a couple, you know, whatever. Well, you know, and the, well, I got lucky to, Jeff Elstead was in our other group. That was awesome. I can look back. I can tell you that the people that were with me that day, every time I see them was, boy, that golf tournament was fun. Are we going to do it again? Well, hell yeah, we're going to do it again. Perfect. I'm a person who doesn't want to lose anymore. There's a lot of athletes out on the yeah, course. And, and when they get out there, the juices start flowing. And it's fun the whole time. Honestly, I had a blast. And it was good to see that angle and solve the world's problems with For Sam sure. Fenske, right? Because sure. he was a player when I got here. But And that's just, I think one of the examples of how the program takes it yeah, to the next it's, level. It's, cool it's so stuff. fun. You know, it the is youth so fun. camp is huge on the young yep. end. And and that, that brings back alumni who come back and work it. Um, it gives our high school kids a chance to work with younger kids and see, you know, do I have it in me to be a coach? Sure. You know, I think my son Matt will ultimately become a teacher and a coach. I agree. And a lot of that came from working youth camp and just loving yeah. working with those young kids and having so much fun with it. You know, and then we do a few other things. You know, we, I think we do as classy a game program as you're going to see in the state of Minnesota. Oh. And you've helped out tremendously with that by providing that insert information. But that promotes our kids. Our yeah. kids' mugshots are in there. There's highlights and stats and things like that in there. So you've kept it about the kids. Yeah, exactly. And as that much is, as possible. Yes. You know, and again, do we have to sell, you know, discount cards? We do. Do we send out email fundraisers to grandpa and grandma and aunts and uncles? We do. Um, it's an expensive program to run, to have the, the quality of the uniforms, the, the, the quality of the helmets. The helmets that we Is put it? on our kids are unbelievable. You cannot buy better football helmets at any level than yep. what we're putting our, you know, on our kids. Usually you're the first ones to get into them. Like the vices, I, right. I know that's you've moved on to, what's the newer one? Uh, we're now? starting to slide a little bit into the Axiom, which is Riddell's yep. new helmet. What's really cool about the mm-hmm. Axiom you don't have to fit them throughout the course of the season. So they come in and they do a laser scan of the kid's head, and then they actually mold the padding inside uh, to the kid's head at the factory. (laughs) And uh, we saw this. um, Mark and I, Octokirk, uh, flew out to Chicago with the Riddell reps about four years ago, and we were just getting into Vices, and Riddell was really nervous about that. They did not like that at all. Yeah. And so they flew the two of us out to Riddell to show us what was going on. And at that time, uh, they were just starting the prototype of 3D scanning heads and making form-fitted molded uh, helmets. And uh, we got to see that whole prototype and the whole factory. And, and when the ratings came out, uh, they were right up there, that helmet sure. with the vices. Yep. And so now that they have uh, modified it where high school kids can get into it. So last fall was the first year okay. that a high school kid could wear an So axiom. when you went out there, they weren't ready to bring it to no. market? That's, no. Okay. Yep. Nope. They were starting to bring it to the NFL. Okay. And uh, now they're able to scan high school kids. We've scanned our, our captains again. And That's their so cool. Helmets are in production so as cool. we speak. And so um, when you're talking about the two highest rated helmets in the NFL right now, it's the Riddell Axiom and it's the Vices Zero Two. And those are the two on helmets that we're putting on our kids. So um, you can't keep kids 100% safe in anything that you do. But uh, 
we're really grateful, you know, to the community for financially supporting us to the point that we can put the best yes. equipment possible on our kids. Yep. And that's, you know, the goal of it. Uh, do we put extra coaches onto our staff to coach kids? Absolutely. That's part of it do. too. That's part of it too. We yep. want every kid to get coached up. If you're a third team guard and we've got four coaches on staff, I'm sorry, that kid's not going to get coached in the game of football. Exactly. If we have yep. 12 coaches on staff, that kid's going to get coaching and then we can find a diamond in a rough. We can yes. find a kid like a Gage Stone who might have been a third teamer last year. Now we expect to be a starter for us. Mm-hmm. Um, that kid needs coaching in in ninth and tenth one on one coaching absolutely and and it's just a numbers and attention yep and uh if you want to build a good program you have to good put good coaches in front of kids and you have to have enough of them yes and so we don't apologize for for paying additional coaches from our fundraising dollars so that we can get kids coached up that's what this is all about it's you shouldn't and you won't have to because that is ultimately that's not that's not superficial that is like one on one attention you have Weiss is doing the tackles uh, you've Doug was doing the interior no Correct. a lot of high and schools Melch don't have got that. the tight end Titus got you got three guys Correct. coaching your blockers Correct. right little things like that that you see like I said I just showed up I was just an outsider watching how cool this operation was and you look back now and it's you, you can't talk about the success without Jerry Egermont. So it's going to be weight room in the off season at all time and getting him in track. And Jerry uh, was just named a Butch Nash award winner yeah. at the MFCA. And, and so, you know, these are among the finest high school coaches in the state of Minnesota. Uh, he was a NSCA assistant coach of the year in the state of Minnesota last year for all of his work in both yep. track and in, in, in football. And so, Again, I think it really goes back to the trust, the the idea that you're going to put good people in place, and then you're going to let them coach the kids the way yeah. that they need to coach the kids, and you're going to know that the job is going to get done. And we've been very, very fortunate and very blessed. And that's why I don't apologize for having no. 18, 19, 20 coaches between yeah. the uh, 9th and 10th and 11th and 12th grade yeah. kids because uh, they're great people, they're great role models, and they're great coaches who can make their, you know, the people's kids better. There's always going to be naysayers out there <laughs> saying, uh, football's overemphasized or football gets everything. <laughs> Football works pretty hard to get the stuff that we do. And I think we put the resources into the right things, yeah. which is safety equipment for our kids and the best coaches that Absolutely. money can buy. The priorities are there. And I, I wish I could have a dime for every time I heard that from whoever. Uh, well, because of course people say, well, the football stadium went up first and it's like, you realize that's an architectural thing. Let's not do this people. Let's not. Would you like the football team to just not exist? Or, or? It comes with the territory though. And but yeah, of, exactly. And we do embrace it because, uh, you, have you to, know, it's kind of like the uh, women's basketball final uh, in the NCAA yeah. this year, you know, um, it drew a lot of eyeballs yeah. and eyeballs are good. Yes. And, uh, yeah. you know, we understand that we're a high profile program uh-huh. uh, that a lot of people you know, watch and care. We also understand that not everybody watches and not everybody exactly. cares. And there are going to be You can be get lost in that. You, you can, can get lost in everybody knows who we are. But that, well, that's just keep promotion. That's what that's about. Correct. Yeah, it's easy to get lost in both ways. Our job is to serve the kids. It is. And, uh, and that's where our focus is, and we don't worry too much about it. I can attest series. that's what it is. I mean, I'm not... Um, going to be, you know, the first, when we talked about me, uh, you know, helping with the booster club last year, I can tell you it was about the kids first. Let's get the exposure. Let's get the kids because these kids are in high school right now and they might go off to college and play sports 
or they might not. But for the ones that do, I, I want to, at least for my job, to make this the best time because this might be the only time they ever get their name in the paper right. or ever get to be on our radio station or whatever it is. And I can tell you that when I was that age, that was the coolest kind of thing. I kind of want to end by looking forward. New uniforms this year again, which I thought was kind of cool. And that's another thing. It's And the kids designed them. So there you go. I, I think it resonates. pretty cool. Yeah, um, talk about always, that. We've always let our kids design our uniforms. Um, yep. You know, now that uh, we're a Nike school and have been for a decade or so, um, you know, you can use all of their online stuff and the kids can sit down and monkey around with, can we put a stripe there? Uh-huh. Can we do this? Can we put a chevron there? <laughs> and so the kids <laughs> really so embrace cool. that. They really embrace that. And, uh, you know, hopefully they look good enough that we can wear them for the next five to seven years like we've gotten out of our last set. Yep. Um, but they were starting to get a little threadbare, and uh, and it was time to, you know, kind of move on. Um, you know, we're looking at uh, new sets of helmets and shoulder pads and really uh, high-class stuff. But excited, a little bit nervous about the new facility. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of stuff that has to be moved over there in a very short period of time. And it's very difficult to plan for because we don't know when that move is going to take right. place. So. Are we going to have team camp in July at the old high school and then our youth Huskies camp at the new high school in the first week of August? And if so, how are we going to get all of our stuff? It's a logistical nightmare. Exactly. (laughs) And, you know, I I like knowing in advance what I'm up against. And right now I (laughs) don't think I'm I'm completely up to speed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that will be a, a bit of a transition. We'll get it figured out. And again... Um, we're going to make sure our kids still have a great experience. And if that means a lot of us coaches give up our summer to organize and get, sh- you know, shelving built in the sheds and so that when we move our equipment over, everything, you know, gets to where it needs to be. But it's going to be a great facility. Really excited about the mm-hmm. opportunity to play there. A little sad about leaving the old facility, yeah. but, um, you know, I think we're we're going to build new memories and new traditions and but, you know, I was meeting with the captains last week, and it's like, we don't even know which direction we're going to come out of the locker room right. to enter the field The yet. stuff you take for granted. Correct. That it's... The things that we've been doing for, you know, 34 years, and uh, we're going to have to reinvent a lot of those traditions. You'll have to and, do a dress uh, rehearsal or something. Exactly. Right? Seriously. Exactly right. We How are we gonna, where are we going to walk from? Correct. It's things you don't think about, right? But until you have to think, think about, about them. now. <laughs> right? You don't think about it until you have to. But, uh, so yeah, folks, we've got new stadium. Uh, two turf fields or one? Yeah, or both? Be two turf practice That'll help with fields, maintenance. <laughs> and then we're a year away from a grass field. They're going to seed a grass okay. field out there as well. So we'll actually have three practice fields and the stadium field. And, yeah. you know, I think it's going to suit us well. So we can practice on grass when we've got a grass game. We can practice yeah. on turf when we've got a turf game and keep it consistent. Yeah, it's it's all uh, very exciting. It, it really is kind of a new era, a ton of football, whether it's I'm not, not going to be that guy who asks how many years you have left because I think people can kind of figure out where the program is going right now and people can read the writing on the wall. But to, to have this stability, whether it is the infrastructure, the physical infrastructure, and then the culture you've built, I'm sure that's going to make it easier when ultimately that does happen. But again, we'll save that. Maybe that'll be part two.